0: And one day we will see Him finally take this thing to its desired end, and we will watch Him conquer the entire universe and be Lord of all. Amen? Amen. So this message this morning is called The Conquest of God, because after all, that's what life is all about. It's about the conquest of God. God is driving the entire universe to his grand intended end of righteousness and his glory. And so my question for us this morning is this. What are we doing and how are we driving the circumstances of our lives? Is it aligning with his conquest? Because that is what I have determined, as the head of school here at Christian Fellowship Academy, I have determined that we will drive things forward for the conquest of God. Because it's not about any individual, it's not about the school, it's about Him and how people's lives begin to align with Him. Amen? So this is called the conquest of God. Now if I had to give it a subtitle, which by the way I am, I want you to remember three important points from this. We have the pervasion of God's truth, By the invasion of Jesus for the conquest of God. You remember those three things? The pervasion of God's truth by the invasion of Jesus Christ for the ultimate conquest of God. This is what life is all about. Let's begin with the pervasion of God's truth. Basically, when we talk about the pervasion of his truth, pervade means to permeate. Or literally, to, from the Latin, the root is to run through. So God's truth literally runs through the entire universe. I, I took a walk not too long ago out of Bushy Run Park, and some of the trees had fallen from the winter snowstorms, and they had taken a saw to them, and, 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 and the trees were cut. And if you looked, anywhere the trees were cut, you could see the same pattern, the same rings, right? Anywhere you cut that tree, what are you going to see? The same pattern. Anywhere you slice the universe, what are you going to see? God's. God's patterns. His truth. His truth literally pervades the universe. Now, why is that? Because He made it, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, when I was little, tiny, curly-headed Shelly Prindle, all my students know my favorite thing to do was what? Build Legos. Thank you. I would build Legos. I'd collect many, many Lego sets, put them all together, and I'd build these Lego mansions and these Lego spaceships. Now, you could have picked Shelly Prindle's little Lego mansion and differentiated mine from anybody else's in the neighborhood. Why? Because I made it. It reflected me and my creativity. Like an artist's work reflects the artist. And so anywhere we slice the universe, we are going to see God's truth. Now, He made everything, so there's a corollary to that. Because He made everything, everything belongs to Him. Now, this point is going to become very critical later on. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all who dwell in it. Now, we may rebel and fight against that, but I'm here to tell you something. Whether you're currently living for the Lord right now or not, you belong to Him and you're going to answer to Him. And He is going to do with your life whatever your choices cause Him to do because you must answer to the God who created you. It is the pervasion of God's truth in the universe. Now, not only do we slice the current universe anywhere, and we're going to see a reflection of God's truth, I'm going to give you details on that in a minute, but God's overarching truth pervades the whole plan. Before God created the universe, God was. Amen? And long when He brings this universe, recreates it, and brings history as we know it to an end, God will still be. His overarching, timeless plan is guiding everything. So not only do we see reflections of God in things as they currently are, but God's truth is pervading the whole scheme of things. And I'm here to tell you something. No matter how the culture rebels against it, no matter how a particular individual sitting in this sanctuary this morning may try to deny it, his truth pervades all of time and history and out to the edges of eternity. So that this is true. In Hebrews 9.27 it says, It is appointed that every man or woman will die once and then face judgment. We teach that here at Christian Fellowship Academy if you're expecting to send your child to a school that kind of pats them on the head and says everything's okay, no, we're going to answer to God. We belong to Him. We're not only going to answer to Him, but the Bible says, generally speaking, in Romans chapter 14, we're told that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, you can do that one of two ways. (laughs) You can be forced to do that, Or you can do it willingly. But I'm standing here right now to tell you, you will confess that Jesus is Lord someday. His truth is overarching all of history. He stands timeless outside of history, and He's pulling this whole thing together. Now, as we're sitting here today, how many of you ever think, well, Shelley, I get awfully discouraged sometimes. And it doesn't feel like God's truth is really holding so in the finite moments of my life. Do you ever feel like that? Well, I want to remind you of something. I always love the Scripture in Acts chapter 2, down around verses 25 and 26. Peter is preaching the first great sermon of the church. And he looks at all the people who are there and he says, Look, you guys nailed Jesus to a cross. You put him to death by the hands of godless men. But, this is the other thing Peter says. He says, it was done. Now check this out. By the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Amen? So look, on the day that Jesus was arrested and through his crucifixion, we know that even his own disciples, did they get discouraged? Did they run away? Did they tend to forget? All they could see was the prophecies about the bad times and the difficult time of his crucifixion, right? And his death. And they forgot the ones that were moving forward that he was going to resurrect. Is that correct? Did I forget to dismiss the children? Did I? I really did, didn't I? I'm going to pause right here and dismiss children. I'm sorry for those of you who have children and want to send them to children's church. Let's dismiss the children um, at this time. Let me read this. I'm sorry to interrupt the message, but I know that for some of you... You may really need to do that, okay? Kindergarten through first grade is Fran Lighty. Could all the kindergarten through first grade come up? And then we have second through fourth grade, Pamela Brooks. Pamela Brooks, second through fourth. Come on up, kids, if you're glowing. Um, I think most of you have been contacted. There is no three- and four-year-olds class today, but there is a toddler nursery available if you need it. Come on up. Sorry, I forgot to do this. We got it, though. Here we go. We love the children. Look at this. Awesome. Okay. Let me pray over you guys before you go. Father, this morning, we want to thank you so much for your goodness. And we want to thank you for these children's classes that reach them where they're at, Father. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be with their teachers and that you would work in their hearts this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be dismissed. Thank you. See, when you've been a teacher for as long as me and you're a principal, I can, like, zone into that. Oh, I forgot that. Let's do that, and I'll come back together. Everybody with me? Okay. All right, now what we were talking about was that God has everything under control, and His truth pervades all of history. He stands outside of history, and we are going to answer to Him. Amen? Now, sometimes it feels like, and if you're really a Christian and you do not lie, you would admit with me, sometimes it feels like His truth is not pervading the moments of life. Right? Pastor, he's shaking his head. Yes, it does sometimes feel like that. We all know that. But you remember, I took you back to the book of Acts, and I love how Peter says, yes, Jesus was crucified, but it was all a part of God's predetermined plan and his foreknowledge. The poor disciples, they're just like us. When Jesus was being crucified, all they were thinking about was what was bad happening right then and there. And they forgot that Jesus also said, destroy this temple and I will what? I'll raise it up in three days. What happened to those words? They kind of flew right out of the disciples' minds, didn't they? Don't be too hard on those guys. We do the exact same thing. We do the exact same thing. I don't care what we're going through right now, what is in your life right now. God is true to his plan and his truth pervades the whole scheme of things. Now, I want to share with you an example of this. If you would do this, you could take your Bible and you could go to so many Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. I'm thinking in particular we have Psalm chapter 22, written about a thousand years before Jesus came. We have Isaiah 53, written about 700 years before Jesus came. We have all these prophecies about Jesus' death and resurrection and they were very particular. All right, there were prophecies that said he'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver exactly. Isn't that amazing? 700 years, 1,000 years before it happens, we have a prophecy of how he would be killed and that form of death didn't even exist at that time. We have very specific prophecies about his death and resurrection. What town he would be born in, 700 years before he's born. Now, some of you are shaking your heads and some of you don't get how awesome this is. Let me tell you why this is awesome. Now, if I say to all of you, I'm going to prophesy that it rains tomorrow, if it actually rains, what will you think of me? Eh, she's okay. a <laughs> 50-50 shot that it might rain tomorrow. But if I stand up here and I begin to add detail and detail, and I remove the thing further away and I say, you know what? It is going to rain on April 23rd of the year 2056 at exactly 3.17 in the afternoon in the northeast United States. And it will rain for exactly two and a half minutes and then stop. Now, if that came true, what would you think? Oh, she's good. (laughs) Okay? She must really have some power. Because that can't be just random chance that she got that correct. Well, we're talking about the Scriptures written thousands, hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus ever came. Specific details about His death and His resurrection were, in fact, fulfilled. Are you with me? That is incredible. God keeps His Word. Now, there was a, there was a, a great um, mathematician, Dr. Peter Stoner, who with many university students decided to calculate what the chances, the mathematical chances were that Jesus could actually fulfill just eight of the specific prophecies about him by random chance. So he set out to do this. And what Dr. Peter Stoner found, and you could read this in any of Josh McDowell's works, is that the chances that Jesus fulfills just eight of the prophecies written about him hundreds of years before is one in one hundred million billion That's a one with 17 zeros. You think that's amazing? Yeah. Everybody's like, yeah, that's a big number. Let me tell you what one in 117 million or one hundred million billion is like. It would be like this. If I were to take, now check this out, one and a half inch square tiles and cover the surface of this entire sanctuary with them, that'd be a lot of tiles, wouldn't it? Remember, they're only one-and-a-half-inch squares. But I'm not doing that. I'm going to cover not only the surface of this entire sanctuary with them, I'm going to cover the surface of the entire state of Pennsylvania with one-and-a-half-inch square tiles. No. The entire United States. No. Lisa knows this. The entire North American continent with one-and-a-half-inch square tiles. You think that's a lot? No. We're going to just cover every land mass on the surface of the earth with one-and-a-half-inch square tiles right next to each other. You can get a lot of tiles. And we're going to take one of the tiles and put a gold star underneath. And then we are going to blindfold Mary Ann Schneider. And we are going to force her to wander the earth by whatever means she can find until she is 95 years old. And when Mary Ann reaches 95 years old, wherever she is, we're going to call out to her and say, Mary Ann, wherever you are, bend down and pick any tile you want. The chances that she picks the tile with the gold star is one in 100 million billion. That is the chances, the mathematical chances, that Jesus fulfilled eight of the prophecies about him by random chance and wasn't God. Not very good, huh? But in fact, he fulfilled over 300. Let me just tell you, you have a better chance of selecting a marked electron from all of the electrons that make up the mass of the entire universe than you have that Jesus is not God and fulfilled those 300 prophecies. Can you say amen? amen? Can we depend on God? We can depend on them. Now, you know, some of you may think, oh, this type of intellectual stuff. No, this is the stuff that you have to get in your brain. These are the facts that you have to live on. This isn't about emotional hype. This is about truth. Jesus fulfills His Word. When the Bible was written, everything that He said He would do so far, He has done. Now, I'm waiting for the day when He does all the rest. I'm caught in between. But I don't give up because I see what he's done in the past. I know his track record, and I believe he's going to do it in the future. We have the pervasion of God's truth over time and history. Now, when I talk about God's truth in the beginning, pervading the universe, I see this happening in two basic ways. First of all, God's truth pervades generally in nature. We see the laws of mathematics. We see the laws of physics, the laws of logic, the laws of planetary motion. Aren't they regular and dependable? That's because Romans 1.20 says, You look at the creation that I've made, and you will find something out about me. I can be depended on. I am organized. I have it all under control down to the detail. God's truth pervades the universe generally in nature. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22 Noah and his family has just gotten off the ark. Noah has offered up the animal sacrifice uh, showing that he believes Jesus is going to come and God smells that pleasing aroma. And do you know what he said to Noah and his family? He said, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Has it ever No, it hasn't. That is God's truth showing us that he is reliable. Now, this comes to you on a personal level. I want to share this with you. You know, how many of you have enjoyed the sunrises and the sunsets lately? Aren't they beautiful this time of year? Just blazing red out there? Okay. Take time this week to check out Jeremiah 31 and Jeremiah 33. This is beautiful. I was driving to school the other day and I saw that blazing red sunset and the night before I had read these scriptures. The context is that Israel and Judah has rebelled against God and in their sinfulness they've been dispersed all about. And God wants Jeremiah to tell his people, I'll not give up on you. I'll fulfill my covenant. I'll be faithful to my people. How many of you need to know that from God? God, yes, I've failed you, but when I repent, you bring me back. You'll not give up on me. Is that hard to believe sometimes? It's hard to believe sometimes. But Jeremiah 31 and 33 talk about this fact. God said to Jeremiah, He said, look, this is what I want you to say to my people. It's the sun and the moon should ever stop doing their thing on a daily basis. And then he says, moreover, in in Jeremiah 33, about verse 25, he says, moreover, if any of the fixed patterns of the heavens and the earth... What does he mean by fixed patterns? Any of the laws of the universe, right? The law of gravity, the laws of thermodynamics, the laws of mathematics. If any of these fixed patterns should ever disappear and should ever cease to take effect, that's when I would give up on my people. Isn't that beautiful? The next time you see the sunrise... I drove into school that day and I came into teacher devotions and I shared with our teachers, I said, look, when you see that sunrise, it should mean so much to you. Because God said... If I should ever stop bringing the sun up in the morning or the moon would not come out at night, that's when I would ever give up on you completely. Amen. That is the pervasion of God's truth generally in the universe to show us what His character is like, to show us who He is. We read in Acts chapter 17, verse 25, that God gives life and breath to all human beings. Think about this. At a cellular level... You are living and breathing and having respiration. Why? Because of the regularity of God. Because of how all the atoms and molecules in your body are working. Amen? That's God. His faithfulness to us. This is one of the things we capitalize on here at CFA. From pre-K up to 12th grade, teachers are taking this kind of natural truth and showing and relating it to God. Why? Because that's what God does. He uses these things for us who, who our brains sometimes are so small, aren't they? And He gets us to see, I am dependable. Don't give up on me. Don't think I haven't got it all under control. I am with you. The pervasion of God's truth, we see it generally in nature. And we see it specially in kingdom living. Now, this is where it gets a little bit messy. Now, what do I mean by kingdom living? Well, first of all, when a man, woman, or child chooses to have Jesus come in and cleanse their sins, then they are translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And then we are supposed to live so that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's kingdom living. Now, we want God's truth to pervade very specially in kingdom living. It gets a little messy here because... I've never known of a proton, neutron, electron to rise up and rebel against God and say, no, I'm not going to function the way you want me to. Never seen the moon and the tide of the ocean rise up and say, I'm just tired of this. Human beings are made in the image of God. And we are the one part of His creation that He dignifies with a choice to serve Him or not to serve Him. So this gets messy. But when we allow God's truth to pervade our kingdom living, the same way His truth pervades the natural order, look out. Some exciting things are going to happen. And the goal of CFA is that students would learn to allow God's truth to pervade them, especially in kingdom living. Now let me give you an example. The Bible says in Proverbs 28 that if you conceal your transgressions, you won't prosper. But if you confess and forsake them, what is God going to give to you? Compassion, mercy. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart is going to fall into calamity. I want to tell you the most precious story. One of the greatest things that's happened to me as principal of this school. At the beginning of this school year, my second year as principal, um... It was brought to my attention that the women's restrooms over there right outside the foyer, that there was some graffiti on the stalls in there. And we, the teachers and I discussed it and we narrowed it down and we figured out that really the only students who use that during the course of the day are the kindergarten through third grade students, the girls. Now, this, now when I say graffiti, I don't want you to get these weird thoughts in your head. Here's their graffiti, right, Russ? Okay, this was the graffiti. Little stars, (laughs) scribble marks, stick figures, you know, names of boys in second grade. You know what I mean? Graffiti. But But nonetheless, there was graffiti. They had defaced the stalls in the girls' restroom. And I knew I had to deal with it. Now, we're talking kindergarten through third graders here. So I I prayed about it, and I decided to bring those little kids. I brought them all into the sanctuary, and the girls sat right here, kindergarten through third grade, and I allowed the boys to sit there. When the boys found out that they weren't being disciplined, you should have seen them sit up straight, straighten their ties, looking at the girls. But I thought this would be a good thing for them to watch. And so then I proceeded to explain to the kindergarten through third grade girls, now mind you, God is relational, isn't He? When He disciplines me, I'm okay with it. Because I know he loves me. See, I play Legos with the kids, and I love the kids. So when it comes time to discipline, it's okay. So the kindergarten through third grade girls are sitting right here, and I proceeded to explain to them that I had found out there was graffiti in those restrooms. And as they were sitting here, I looked at them, and I said, Let me ask you girls a question. If somebody were to take one of your webkins and tear the fur off of it in one spot, and then hand it back to you, what would you do? Oh, my goodness, their faces. They got so angry. I'd be so mad, Mrs. Pringle. That's not fair. I said, why would you be so angry? It's because it's my Webkin. I take care of it. It's mine. I said, okay, I understand. And you would be right to be upset. I said, there's been some bad things happening in the restroom, and I explained what defacement of property was. And then I said do you know that those restrooms over there in the foyer, they belong to this church? I said, but more importantly, they belong to God. And they all turned and they looked. They said, those are God's restrooms. Now, I know it hit home because the next day I had a parent come to me, say her little first grader ran into the car and said, Mommy, Mommy, guess what? Those are God's restrooms over there. <laughs> but anyway, I said, those are God's restrooms. I said, and what you've done is you have made them look bad and nasty. You've done something like if I were to tear fur off your webcam. I said, those are God's bathrooms. Those are the church's bathrooms. What have you done? And then I put Psalm 24:1 up. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. And I want to tell you something. I stood right here and I looked at them and I said, now I love you guys. But if you had anything to do with that, you need to come to me sometime today. You don't have to do it in front of anybody. And you need to tell me. You need to confess it to Jesus and we'll pray together. And you need to confess it to me and let's make this right. Then Mrs. Mock and I sat down on these front steps and waited. Those girls came streaming me I think over the course of the day I met with 12 little girls and the first three that came sat on the steps with Mrs. Mock and I we just sat here and I will never forget the one in particular first grade she looked at me and she just started bawling but see this is the beauty of the word of God applied she just started bawling Mrs. Mock I'm so sorry I really didn't even know I just saw other people were writing on it. She was so heartbroken. And she started crying. She said, I want Jesus to forgive me. I thought, this is so beautiful. I put my arm around that little girl, Mrs. Mock, and I sat there. And I said to her, I said, honey, when we confess our sins, what does Jesus do? She looked up at me through tears, and she said as strongly as she could, He forgives us. I said, and He has forgiven you. Then I reached out and I hugged that little girl and I said, and I forgive you. I said, I love you so much. We sat back with other girls throughout the course of the day and it was the same kind of thing. And I just reiterated to them, I said, this is what the Bible is all about. You becoming sensitive to the things of God. And look, I had in that moment the opportunity to teach this spiritual truth. When you confess, you will find compassion. My relationship with that little girl has never been the same. She smiles at me and loves me and we have such a wonderful relationship because she learned not to harden her heart, but to let her heart break before God and before others. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I thank God for the day the graffiti hit the girls' restroom. But here's what I want to say to all of you who send your children here. We became a part of PittsburghChristianSchools.net consortium. And one of the advertisements that they have going out on the radio says something like this. Christian schools are not places that have perfect kids and perfect teachers. Now, if any of you send your children to this school, you should be loudly saying, Amen, they aren't perfect. We are not a school of perfect children and perfect adults. Are you with me? But herein lies the difference. When our little kids do graffiti in the restroom, I don't put a band-Aid over a splinter. We deal with the heart of the issue. We're not disciplining the behavior only and saying what you can and cannot do. but I'm getting to the heart of the child and applying spiritual truth so that they might learn and grow in God. Isn't that what it's all about? That's what CFA is about, the pervasion of God's truth, especially in kingdom living. Now, this can all only happen by the invasion of Jesus. There's no other way. And let me explain to you why. The only person who can give life is who? God, Jesus. Life only comes from God. How many of you had anything to do with your your conception and birth? How many of you could have helped your birth along or stopped yourself from being born? Okay, only God gives life. Now, when we sin against God and we've inherited that original sin, it wasn't just Adam and Eve, it's us. When we rebel and we sin against God, that life that He gave to us, it gets drained out of us because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We die spiritually and we're all on our way to dying physically because that's the wages of sin. So let me tell you something, when we rebel against God and before we come to Him, life is drained out of us and we're back down to that point by the arrow. How much life do you have when you sin against God? Nothing. And here is the mistake that all other religions make except for biblical Christianity. People think they can somehow work their way back to spiritual life. There's something I can do to please God. There's a path that I can follow. There's a formula that I can use. I can can work hard. I can do this. I can do that. And somehow I'll work my way back to life in God. It cannot happen. Only God gives life. You have no more chance of giving spiritual life back to yourself than you had of causing yourself to be born. Only God gives life. And so when we're lost and the life has been drained from us, what are we to do? Oh, I'll never forget the day this hit me. We go to the God-man. That's why it's by the invasion of Jesus because Jesus is the God-man. It takes God to bring back life. So who do I need to give me life? I need God to give me life. But Jesus came 100% God, 100% man, because I need Him to identify with me. I can't give it to myself. It takes Jesus. The life gets drained. The only way you get it back is through Jesus. That's the beauty of Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I walked through elementary chapel the other day and I had to sit myself down. You should have heard Mrs. Huey's sincere appeal to little tiny children to make their own decision. Your parents can't make it for you, she said. This is something between you and God. And she presented the gospel, this, to our kids. But there are people sitting in here who are adults right now and you need this truth. You need to know only God can give life. You can't do enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't work to please God back to life. Only God makes dead men live. It happens by the invasion of Jesus. Let me take this one more step. After he gives life back to you. You know, if I were to ask the average person, why did Jesus die on the cross? I've done this in different places. Most Christians would raise their hand and say, so we could go to heaven. Not a comprehensive answer. Not really. That's not the full story. Jesus didn't come just to save like this invisible soul part of me and then forget about the rest of my life and my body and everything that I do and then someday He'll deposit me in heaven because that's His gift. The Bible says that Jesus bore my sins in His body on the tree. Why? Not just so I could go to heaven, but that I would die to sin and Live for righteousness. That's in the present tense. Okay? The invasion of Jesus. Jesus came in to take over your life so that you would live for righteousness now. Heaven is a home of righteousness. The only people that sit there are people who love righteousness right now. If you rebel against it and you hate what is right, and you hate what is good and true and of God, you're not going to sit in that place called heaven. But Jesus came that we might live His righteousness now. And that's what this school is about. Teaching and training in the full, joyful life of righteousness now. If you're a parent, you volunteer for lunches and other things. I know Becky does. I mean, parents know me. Oftentimes, people will hear me laughing at the school office the whole way out to other areas of the school. I love to laugh. The teachers are laughing. Yes, she does. Why? Because I want the young people to see that righteousness brings joy. And that we ought to be actively living it. There are many times I walk through these hallways or sit out in the foyer and I watch these little ones go past. And if if I ever have a weird look on my face like that, it's because I'm looking at them thinking, wow, we are so blessed that the Holy Spirit is walking these hallways with these kids. I have never seen such sincere, pure love as these little kids have. And even the older ones. Mrs. Mock and Mrs. Madden and I took some of our open house tour guides to, woo-hoo, Wendy's for lunch, my favorite restaurant. We took them out and we treated them at Wendy's for Well, we didn't treat them. No, they had to bring their own money. But we took them to Wendy's for lunch, and uh, we were sitting there, and we were all, we were all eating. We, the adults were sitting at a separate table, and at one point I just interrupted the whole conversation. I looked at Mrs. Mock and Mrs. Madden, and I said, just look at those kids. I said, they can be so bad sometimes. Just not bad in a bad way, but you know, just kids. And I said, but look at them. So proud of them. I love those kids. You can sense God's Spirit working in them. That's what this is about. It's about the invasion of Jesus. That's the only way that we can have the conquest of God. So here's my last point. 1 Corinthians 15:28 says, When all things are subjected to Him then the Son Himself also will be subjected to the One who subjected all things to Him, so that God may be all in all. At the end of time, when Jesus comes back to make this universe right, He is going to trample down every enemy. Every power and enemy that's been against Him. And the last enemy He'll trample on is death. And after he has conquered everything in the universe, he's going to put it under himself and then he's going to willingly walk over to his father and hand it to his father so that everything will be under God and God may be all in all. I recently wrote a devotion and posted it to my website. You know what the title was? What is this world coming to? Did you ever want to pull your hair out and say, what is this world coming to? I got an answer for you. One pivotal moment when God becomes all in all. Don't pull your hair out. Don't go crazy. He's moving all of history. He's pushing every circumstance to the point where he will be all in all. And I've got a question for you. If he's doing that, what should I be doing with every moment of my life? When I walk down these hallways, the look on my face, the conversation I have with my colleagues, with my students, you know what I make it reflect? That God is all in all. When you're at work and you're putting effort into your job, what does it reflect? That God is all in all. In your relationships, and your conversations, God should be all in all. You see Ephesians 1.11, it says, God is working all things after the counsel of His own will. That's hard to believe, isn't it? It's very difficult to believe, but He is. That's why we've got to memorize the Scripture, read the Scripture, and take it as God's truth. If that point on the left represents the beginning of time, and the purple circle represents the day Jesus comes back to usher us into eternity, we have all this time in between. And the Bible promises that God is working just the good things after the counsel of His own will, All things after the counsel of His own will. So I can stand here, I can't explain how, but I know, for example, that the Holocaust was working after the counsel. God is working His good from that. Whether we're talking about the Holocaust or you stubbing your toe on the way into church, God's working how many things? All things after the counsel of His own will. He is, I promise. Can't always see it. We look at life and we have all these scattered circumstances of life and they seem to be flying out of control. And we ask ourselves, God, what are you doing? And God looks back at us and He says, you know what I'm doing, Shelley? I'm pulling every single one in, reining it in, pulling it in, just pulling it in to that one point where you're going to see I am all in all. The thing I like about it is sometimes in this life, God gives us glimpses that He's doing it now. Like the restroom, graffiti. Graffiti. On a small scale, what a precious moment that led to! Those are the moments we get to seize. I want to share a very personal story with you as I prayed about it, and I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to share it with you. I spent many years of my life praying for my brothers who are younger than me to come back to Jesus. One in particular, I know, loves and walks with Jesus. How do I know? Because my dad built me a wooden podium podium when I was little, and I preached at him every time my parents left me to babysit. (laughs) Now he really did. He really, one in particular I know, was at one point truly and completely walking with the Lord. And I've paced my house from kitchen to living room day after day for years and years praying, God, bring my brothers back to you. God is my witness. I prayed. I cried. I prayed, God, do whatever it takes to save their souls. Then one day, my first or second month as principal here at CFA, what a way to start. I was called home to watch my brother being taken away in handcuffs by federal agents. And I stood out in my parents' yard, just stunned. Have you ever been stunned? Didn't know which way to turn, where was God, what was going on? And I've only seen my brother two times since then, since he's in prison far away from us. The second time I saw him was in a sentencing hearing when I testified on his behalf to his character. And I have never been more proud of my brother than when he wore handcuffs and an orange jumpsuit and looked at his prosecuting attorney and looked at the judge. He said, thank you. God used you to bring me to the end of myself and to save me from who I was becoming. God is saving me through this. What? Then he looked at his family and he thanked us and he thanked God and he stood up and he looked at the judge and he said, By God's mercy... I will serve this sentence like a man. And you will never see me here again because God has saved me. The number one prayer warrior in my life today is my brother, John. We write every week. He prays for every sermon I preach. He prays for my health. We share everything, and he loves Jesus. He's reading the Bible through over and over and over. He asks for Spurgeon books all the time. The guy is on fire for Jesus. Now, here's what I want to say to you. If any one of you would have looked at me when I was standing in my parents' yard that day and said, Shelly, God is answering your prayer right now. I would have punched you in the nose. But guess what? In my darkest moment, God was answering my prayer. Because Psalm 139 says, dark and light are the same to God. What appears to be your darkest moment could be your brightest moment, but you just don't see it right now. God is working all things after the counsel of His own will. And so my last challenge to you This morning is this. The Bible says that the goal of our lives should be that Jesus is glorified in us and we in him. Every single moment, that's what it should be. If a little child asks for a new bike for Christmas, a shiny red new bike, and they get it, and they go out in the living room and the bike's got a bow on it and it's shiny and red and it's all nice, they're all excited. Woo, I got my bike! Look at it! It's so awesome! Then they take it onto the driveway to take it for a spin. They get on the bike, and the wheels don't turn. They're going to be like, well, it looks good. What am I going to do with it? It would be very disappointing, wouldn't it? A person whose life does not glorify Jesus is like a bright, shiny new bike whose wheels don't turn. It may look good. You may have people fooled. They think you have it all together. At the world's surface, it may appear okay, but you're not going anywhere. And it's going to lead to frustration and disappointment unless you finally realize and decide that the whole point of life is lifting up Jesus Christ. And that every single moment you live, and that's the heart and the soul, that is the heartbeat of Christian Fellowship Academy. It's what I keep explaining to the teachers and and we keep passing down to the little ones. Everything for the glory of God. Because you know what? Someday it's all going to be for His glory anyway. And if I rebel and fight against that, I'm only going to be most miserable. It's all about His glory. The pervasion of God's truth by the invasion of Jesus Christ for the conquest of God. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Worship team, could you come out and play something very softly for me? Father, we praise You this morning. We do lift up Your name this morning. I just thank You for these three simple points that have been gotten totally from Your Word. It is the pervasion of Your truth by the invasion of Jesus Christ Himself into a human life that brings ultimately the conquest of God. My prayer this morning, Father, is this is not just about our school. This is, this is Christian Fellowship Center Sunday morning worship service. It is about God and it is about your work in our lives and it is about salvation and people giving themselves wholly and completely to you. So, Father, this morning my prayer is if there is anyone here who needs spiritual life, who through rebellion against you and neglect of you, their sinfulness has drained life from them. If there's anyone who needs life, it is the gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I pray this morning, God, that they would come to you and ask you to give them life back, to create in them a clean heart, and Father, for Christians who are here and we all struggle, just like the disciples, we struggle in the dark moments, in the misunderstanding. We want to know that you are conquering, but sometimes it's so difficult. Help us, God, to cling to your word. To not look to circumstances. To not look to ourselves. But believe as little children that what you said is the truth. God, you know that's how I've tried to live my life. Just take you at your word. Just take you at your word, God. That's what we want to do. And believe simply that when we do that, you will meet us. Father, I pray, touch us this morning. Let these words Your Word, Your truth be planted in our hearts and grow to complete fruition, Lord. And I pray You continue to prosper, Christian Fellowship Academy. I thank You for increased enrollment, for all the way that You're blessing us. Lord, we give ourselves to You and refuse to give in to anything that comes against us we will trust in Jesus for he has never failed us yet nor will he ever we thank you in his name worship team do you want to lead in a closing song